The problem isn't knowing church history, it's knowing too little. If you know enough to understand the context and to also see the hand of God working through the years, it will tend to build your faith. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has a wondrous, inspiring, and sometimes puzzling history. While there are numerous miraculous events which testify of the restored gospel and are the core pillars of many saints' testimonies, other events can be more challenging to wrap our heads around. No one understands the complexities of history better than Elder LeGrand Curtis Jr., the current church historian and recorder, who joins me today to explore how reading stories of the past can actually strengthen rather than shake our faith. A little bit more about our guest. In 2011, Elder Curtis was sustained as a General Authority 70. He spent five years in Africa serving as President of the Africa West Area, two years in Italy as a full-time missionary, and another three years in Italy later down the line as Mission President of the Italy Padova Area. Alongside other callings from Bishop to Stake President to Area 70, he worked professionally as a legal attorney and partner with the support of his wife Jane and their five children. As part of his role as a church historian, Elder Curtis is currently serving as the Executive Director of the Church History Department and Chairman of the Book of Mormon Visual Library Steering Committee. In this episode, Elder Curtis provides insight into the church's efforts to be more transparent with documenting history, how we can come to understand and appreciate events from the past that we might find uncomfortable, and how we as individual saints in the Pacific can play a role in the ongoing restoration by recording our own stories of faith. My name is Maddie Sterling and this is Choosing Faith, a podcast where we talk with members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and explore what it's really like to live and continuously choose a life of faith across Australia and New Zealand. Now, Elder Curtis is on a whirlwind tour of Australia this week and is joining me today from Sydney. Welcome to Choosing Faith. (laughs) How are you? I am fine. I'm honoured to be uh, on your podcast, Maddie. Uh, well, yeah, the honour is all mine. I was just saying before, it's quite special to have an international guest here joining us. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation and hearing more about what it is that you do and the contribution that you've made and currently make to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But I do understand that you just touched down today. Is that right? <laughs> Actually came in yesterday. So Oh, okay, okay. So you've had at least one night's sleep. <laughs> That's good. How are you feeling? Not too exhausted, I hope? (laughs) No, I'm doing fine. Oh, good. Have you seen much of Australia yet? Not much. I've I've enjoyed uh, a couple of occasions to drive around part of Sydney. I've been mainly in the center part of the city and, and really have found just some beautiful monumental buildings. And of course, the the Opera House and the bridge are, are iconic. And I'm glad to have actually seen them in person now. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so is this your first time to Australia? It is. Uh, it, that's oh. a, a defect in my resume. Is that I, <laughs> it took me this long to get to Australia. We might have to kick you off the podcast now. I don't know if you can be here. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited for you. There's so many wonderful things to see and hopefully I'm sure you've got a good itinerary lined up over the next couple of days. Uh, it looks like it. Well, you're here to discuss a couple of things today. I'd really, I'm going to dive into your role more, uh, what what the church historian is, some of the 
the things that you've experienced and, and how that's shaped your testimony to where you are today. Um, now, it's clear from your bio, you've had extensive experience serving in the church in many different capacities. And I would like to describe myself as a bit of a history nerd. So therefore, I'm quite excited to be, to be speaking with you because you are serving as the historian now. I know that you work with the church history department on a number of different projects. Could you just describe to those listening, what does your role entail exactly? As the church historian, I, I uh, along with uh, one of our employees who is the managing director of our department, we supervise about 200 employees and then about 800 missionaries oh, who wow. uh, serve in church history missions, either at headquarters or, again, different places around the world. Basically, the, the mission is to record the history of the church. And that means that we are collecting documents. We're, we're doing oral histories of, of different individuals that have been involved. Uh, and when I say collect records, that includes current things that are happening in the church, but also we keep discovering things that, that uh, come from earlier ages or different places in the church. We uh, maintain a couple of museums. Mm. We're the archive of the church records. We maintain historic sites like the Sacred Grove. We also, in our publication division, do things like publish the Joseph Smith papers, both that he created and that he received, what people wrote of things that he said. Uh, we are nearing the completion of that effort, and, and it'll be a 26-volume compilation when we finish the last wow. few volumes. Uh, we are also doing a volume, a, a, a work called Saints, mm. uh, which talk about different, really the history of the church. We'll be releasing volume three of what we anticipate will be a four-volume set uh, next month. Uh, volume three will be coming out. That's exciting. Uh, and it's a, it's marvelous to talk about the church in an international scope that, that, that really there hasn't been before. And this next volume will, will talk about uh, the period from after the Salt Lake Temple was completed in 1893 and dedicated up through the dedication of the Swiss Temple in 1955. So, we get two world wars, the Great Depression, the worldwide expansion of the of the church. It's really, I think, it will be enjoyed. Mm -hmm. We do other publications like Revelations in Context. We we do several projects that focus on women's history. We also are quite active trying to promote and collect histories uh, around the world. We have a series of what we call global histories where we've collected a few stories and have a timeline for for several of the countries around the world. And we're expanding that as everyday Latter-day Saints are trying to live their gospel. We're trying to collect how COVID, COVID is affecting people, mm. uh, how, how ministering is being implemented, how Come Follow Me has affected the way individuals and families study the gospel. I gave a pretty long answer to a short <laughs> question, but... We've got a lot going on right well, now. Yeah, it's it's really exciting to hear the projects that are coming up. It helps us expand our view of, of the church, the historical narrative of the church beyond just the years of Joseph Smith, which is really, really 
Wonderful. I don't really know too much about the church, you know, from the Great Depression era. And that's actually a time that feels, because I guess it didn't happen as long ago, I feel a bit more connected to it. And I'm excited to hear more of those stories and see how the church expanded. It sounds like you've really got a dual role. And I, I guess you do because you're you're a historian, but also a recorder. Sounds like you're pulling together so many different sources and recording those, obviously, but looking around at current events too and current Latter-day Saints and um, recording those. Is that an accurate summary? Like what's the difference between those two roles? Oh, that's a, that's a great observation because, yes, we need to be writing about things that happened in the past, but we also have an obligation to make sure that the units of the church and the individuals of the church are are writing down and collecting what is happening in in their lives and in their congregations now. I, I think it'll make fascinating reading for future generations to see what we went through during this miserable last two years of COVID. Yeah, it just feels like we, the global community can't really catch a break right now from COVID to what's happening in Ukraine. And I, I don't know if anyone's filled you in on what's been swarming Australia lately, but we've had some devastating floods. There are some trying events that are happening right now, and I do wonder if it will be of interest to people in the future. <laughs> you know, it feels like we're just barely hanging on sometimes, but... Maybe this is a, a pioneer equivalent story for future generations. I think it will be of interest. I mean, to me, some of the most fascinating stories uh, in Saints Volume 3 are those that come out of World War II. Uh, now, and that was, you know, my father was a Navy dentist during World War II. My father-in-law was, you know, served in Europe with the U.S. forces there. It's like you were saying about the Great Depression. It's not that far removed. I mean, my mm. my grandmother was a Relief Society president during the Great Depression and had had to deal with trying to help people have food on their on their table. And you look at these stories from World War II. You've got we'll talk we talk about a a German young woman who's a beehive girl. Well, that sounds familiar to those who who have grown up in the young women's program. But she was intrigued by a different youth program, the Hitler Youth, and she had to decide: does she go with stay a beehive girl, or did she become a Hitler Youth? Because they seem to have better activities and 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 more interesting oh, wow. field trips. Um, you know, we we will read about this young woman getting getting married and getting a letter every day from her Latter Day Saint husband as he goes off to fight at the front and until all of a sudden six weeks later the letters stopped and she later finds out that that he had been killed we got stories of british saints who are losing loved ones from the german bombing i mean we we've got latter-day saints all over the globe feeling the effects and to some extent participating in this war yeah i think people will be interested yeah. in the sufferings of the australians that are losing homes because of the flooding and and this horrible conflict going on in Ukraine right now. It's a it's a good point. Um, in terms of historical events, this war in Ukraine is uh, the first time really that we've had a a social media war where where things can be documented instantly by people 
on the front lines, not necessarily uh, news outlets. And yeah, it does feel like a very momentous, terrible and um, devastating, but yeah, different occasion. So I'm excited and I think we'll chat more about um, this later, but to hear really why we should be recording stories and and the the value that our experiences can have um, for, for the future, which will become history one day. I, I think that that is one of the great things about history generally is that we get to see the way previous generations dealt with issues. And, and yes, there are different aspects to them. There are different means of communication and uh, unfortunately, different ways to fight each other than there were in the past. One of the ways we collect the history now is we harvest what is on social media. We Absolutely. We, we have a team that, that, that <laughs> tracks things like that because things like a podcast like this, that's part of the record of, of Latter-day Saints. You know, what you do to, to uh, help explain our faith, I think, is, is an important part of what is going on as, as the kingdom of God rolls forth across the earth. Yeah, and I guess... You know, President Nelson has such a huge focus on the the ongoing restoration and that we are all a part of it. It didn't just occur with Joseph Smith. And I've noticed, it feels like to me that the church history department is making more of a conscious effort to, yes, not only source these stories from the past, but record more and publish it more and make everything more available to saints around the world in all different languages. I think I read just a month ago about a a photographic record of the original Book of Mormon manuscript. Yeah. Is it just me or are there more historic resources being made available than before? There are more resources being made available. Yeah, but it's not just hidden in a museum either. It seems like we can, you know, a lot of them we can access from the Gospel Library on our phones. It, it's really fun. that the, the volume you're referring to is, is volume five of the Revelations and Translation series within the Joseph Smith Papers. And and it is an effort for us to take each of the fragments that we have from the original manuscript of the Book of Mormon to to have high-quality photographs uh, done with multispectral imaging so that we can get the very best picture we can. And then there's a transcript so that you can look at it you can then read it, the typewritten version. We have it color-coded so you can see which scribe wrote it. Joseph mm-hmm. Smith used seven different scribes. And uh, it is just fascinating. For example, you can go to First Nephi and you can read the first time in the English language that the words were written, I will go and do what, what the Lord hath commanded. Because I know that the Lord giveth no commandment unto the children of men, save he prepare a way that, that he may accomplish it. I mean, you can read the first time that was ever written in English. And, and that's interesting from a historical point of view. But one of the things about church history that makes it different than studying the history of the formation of Australia or the history of World War II is the spirit as you read those things, can testify to you or give you insights and feelings. And frankly, that has been my experience over and over again. Yeah, I I agree. I feel that 
there seems to be a special feeling that comes over me that I only feel when I'm when I'm watching, say, the Restoration movie, or I'm reading about particular stories of saints. It's not something that I feel when I'm reading other history. And I, I suppose you've hit the nail on the head. It's the spirit that accompanies those stories as a way to confirm that, hey, what happened here uh, wasn't just a story of someone, you know, trekking west for no reason. It was because they were part of this restoration movement. And yeah, that the, the Book of Mormon, it really is what it, it professes to be. Do, do you think that's why the church is aiming to be a bit more transparent with publishing these things? Is it? Uh, do you feel that it is a way for members to connect more and boost their testimonies more? I, I think I think it is. I I think being transparent is the right thing to do, just in terms of being open and 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 honest. One of the important things that comes out of that is it gives people the chance to, with the help of the Spirit, to be able to to, to learn from them, themselves mm-hmm. the truthfulness or or what happened. I mean, history is is a ch- challenge because uh, things were done differently in the past, and there's some things that you'll read about, like somebody getting mm-hmm. married when they're 16 years old, that you say that's shocking. Because that would be unusual, particularly in most of the world today, but not so shocking on the American frontier. But it is a, a great blessing to be able to get things in context the best we can and then be able to, for ourselves, determine what, what happened. I, I think that's a better than than a situation where you you just have oh an idealized version of what mm-hmm. happened whether you're talking about the history of a country a history of a person i think it's always helpful to to get a more broad view of as to what that person was like i i sometimes will read something and i think well that's that's an interesting point of view but i want to read a different biography to see if uh, if the author is just trying to tell me a story rather than give me the full truth. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that that effort because as with any history that you learn about, you obviously pull in sources from, from different people who have different agendas or biases, perspectives, and um, if you only rely on one account of something that happened, you can get a very different idea about what actually occurred. Um, and I really do feel the spirit when I dive into these histories. You know, I grew up watching the pioneer movies on Sundays and learning about Joseph Smith and the trials of Missouri, the triumph and expulsion of the saints from Nauvoo. They're all stories that inspire inspired me and I do think inspire a lot of Australian saints. But I, I just, what's one thing that I was conscious of in, in preparing this interview was that it, it can be a challenge, I think, for people, particularly in Australia, to resonate with all of those stories. You know, we, we're a bit further removed from the stories than perhaps you might be. I believe you have an ancestral line back to Brigham Young. Is that right? That's true. Yeah, and so like you must feel not just a you know the pioneer connection, but a, you know it's your family connection. Whereas a lot of Australian saints don't have a direct ancestral lines back to these early pioneers. It can be difficult, I think, to sometimes claim these stories as our own. 
Do you have any suggestions for how we here in Australia might be able to make their story a heritage for us? Yeah, I I think that that is a, a great question. And you asking that question helps me as church historian to think about what we do with our church history. In the first place, you know, events happen in a particular place. And there's no getting around the fact that some of the the foundation events, like the first vision and the translation of the Book of Mormon, they happen to take place in the United States. As Latter-day Saints, that's part of all of our heritage, not just for Americans, not just for those who are descendants of of people involved in in some of those early events. Um, But it's also part of our collective experience as a church that, that William Barrett was uh, ordained an elder when he was age 17, when his family was moving to Australia, and that he, he shared the gospel with Robert Beauchamp Dolling, even though Barrett eventually joined a different church, that Beauchamp went on and was a faithful member of the church and emigrated at a certain point, but came back to Australia and helped build the church. As part of my this, this trip that brought me to Australia, I went to an island in the Pacific known as Tupuai. Now, I think most people have never heard of that island, but it's an interesting part of our collective heritage as a church because that was the first place in the Pacific that the gospel was preached. J- Joseph Smith called some former whalers who knew about traveling the seas that were now Latter-day Saints to take the gospel they were supposed to go to Hawaii, the Sandwich Islands, it called at the time, but they got on a boat going instead to the Society Islands, and uh, they stopped for supplies in a little island called Tupawai, mm-hmm. and the king convinced Addison Pratt, one of the missionaries, to stay and teach the gospel. Well, now about 20 to 25 percent of this island are Latter-day Saints, but that's part of my heritage. I, uh, even though I'm not one of them, I mean, right. the, the so mission that, that the connection the, as well. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah. And, and and the experience of Dieter Uchtdorf in Germany uh, as a, as a member of the church, or, or Gerald Cosset, the Zion Bishop, growing up in France, that all becomes part of our collective heritage. And, and I'm not Australian. I have a brother who served a mission here, so I feel a certain kinship, which maybe is improper. And you say, well, stick with your own country. But <laughs> I, I, you know, if we can develop more of a world mindset that we share in the heritage of William Barrett and, and Andrew Anderson, who came from Scotland, you know, and shared the gospel I, I think one of the flaws in the way we've told history in the past is we focus on the missionaries and not the converts. The real heroes in the story yeah. are not those who get on ships and go around the, the world, although they're very much to be admired, as are their their families that they left behind. But it's those courageous pioneers who joined the church, including the courageous pioneers today who are the first in their family. Although we may love the stories of handcarts and ox teams and, and, and we can't ignore that part of the history, uh, we need to remember that church history is a lot more 
than than just what happened on the American continent. Thank you so much. I I really like that concept of having a global mindset and thinking about the word pioneer as extending to the pioneers throughout the whole world, wherever they might have been in establishing the church early on. I, I served a mission in England and a little bit in Wales, and I do remember hearing a lot about Dan Jones and the wonderful success that the early missionaries had there. But I like the idea of thinking, okay, well, when he left, what did those saints do then? You know, those early yeah. baptized members, how difficult it would have been. And so that's a, that's a good point, and I'm, uh, I like that, the global mindset. One of the other things I would say, to me, one of the marvels of the church and, and its march forward as we prepare a people for the second coming of the Savior is it took place in Australia. I mean, you look at it. Now, I'm on dangerous ground as an American talking about Australia. And you can, you can correct me. Please do. Sure. <laughs> but you've got these major cities that are a long way from each other. I mean, you've, That's very true. <laughs> Melbourne and, and, and Sydney and Brisbane and Perth. Oh, Perth is a world away. But the gospel somehow sprang up in all of those places. Yes, in the early days, it was branches and districts. But then starting in the 1960s, stakes. And then starting in the 1980, temples. It, it's not just one story. It's, it's like a garden where where the flowers were determined to just spring up all over and and uh, and I think it it is a magnificent part of what has happened in Australia that we've got strong latter-day saints and strong latter-day saint communities ringing this this great continent yeah thank you thank you for that um I just wanted to to shift onto something that I feel is important to address, given that I'm talking to the church historian. I did speak with a lot of family and, and friends about their perception of church history and what it means to them. And there was this common theme that arose, this concern that if we want to learn more about the church and its past, that we might actually have to prepare ourselves to come across some events that make us uncomfortable, or at least details that we that don't align with what our current perception of what the church stands for or what we've grown up learning about. And I, as you pointed out at the beginning, if we go about it in the right spirit, actually learning about these stories of faithful saints and how they've overcome trials and how the restoration unfolded can actually be the most uplifting experience accompanied by the spirit. But I know a number of people who've stopped attending church because of something they might've read about in the church's past you know, I even I even had a friend say to me recently, I love being a part of this church so much that in some ways it's easier not to read into its past because I just don't want to risk stumbling across something that might upset me. Yeah, so there's this kind of tension, I suppose. And I wanted to ask you, if someone wants to gain a greater appreciation of church history without feeling like it's going to weaken their testimony, where should they start and what approach should they take? I, let me start with, with the specific question you asked and then branch out to talk about a couple of things that you, you raised in, in introducing that question. I, I would say mm -hmm. Saints is a great place to start. I think a really wonderful exercise is to read the Doctrine and Covenants and, and in, in connection with 
Revelations in Context, which is, again, on the Gospel Library app, where you can see the background of these different—we don't have all of the revelations by any means, but to it, it really is enhancing to know the stories that go with the revelations that came from God. One of the things I really like about reading the church history in saints, particularly if you read it in the Gospel Library app, you get these stories. It's written in a narrative style, so it feels like it's pulling you along with these compelling stories of, of different people. But as you go, there are footnotes. If you want to then read uh, more material on that particular subject, there are, are, are uh, links to the uh, what we call church history topics, where there's a variety of people that you can learn more about. Amanda Barnes Pratt, you can read more about Louisa Pratt. You can learn more about Mountain Meadow Massacre or more about uh, plural marriage in Nauvoo. So you can go a, a level deeper than just saints. And if you want, you can often go a level deeper than that and look at the original document that was used by the historians to write that. One of the things we really have tried to do in saints is to not hide negative things. I mean, we, yeah. we take I, on. I feel like I've noticed that, that there's there's been a yeah a direct response to to events that maybe we just don't understand that might seem a little bit wrong or off. Um, yeah. The Gospel Topics essays, I felt, did that really well um, as I a starting I'll talk point. about a silly one. We talk about Joseph getting in a fist fight with his brother William. Now, he's the prophet. I, I remember hearing that in Saints. <laughs> and, yeah. and now I have brothers. Somehow that made me feel better. <laughs> that that uh, Now, we don't hide the fact that Joseph was not a perfect individual. God has a record of dealing with imperfect people. The Apostle Peter comes to mind. Uh, the Apostle Paul comes to mind. Uh, Old Testament figures come to mind. God has a perfect plan and a perfect gospel and a perfect son, but he works with the rest of us. That could discourage you about church history, but in a different way, it can also encourage you that the Lord can work with us and we can also see improvement as time goes on in in these same figures. I mean, yes, Joseph Smith made a mistake with respect to the the manuscript and that he gave to Martin Harris, and Martin Harris made a mistake. But there's redemption for both of them, you know, ultimately. Mm. So in answer to your question, but we take on tough issues like Mountain Meadow Massacre and and plural marriage. And frankly, we do it because you want to you gotta know the whole story. I think it also will help a generation of people learning their church history to have a broader view and not be as troubled when they come across these things. The, the real challenge comes when, is when nobody, somebody's not heard of that and someone mm -hmm. says, well, did you know that Joseph Smith practiced plural marriage or did you know this? Well, you know, we will know it, but we will also know the context and we'll be able to sense for ourselves uh, the overall goodness of of these people and the movement that they were in. Now, I think one other thing that I would say is that for me, 
reading church history is a way to build my faith and build my testimony. Because, in part, because what we talked about earlier, the feelings that come as you read the revelations, as you read the incidents, as you see the the faith of of new converts facing persecution. I think of, of what some of those early saints in Europe went through as they were ostracized by family and friends and, and still stayed faithful in the, in the gospel. It, we see that today with people that sometimes lose connections with family because they choose the Lord. I, I think that uh, overall, people will find their faith enhanced by a study of church history. This is such a good statement. I wish I'd been the one to say it, but it was actually Rick Turley, who used to be the managing director of the church history department. He said the the problem isn't knowing church history. It's knowing too little church history. It, that, that if you just get something thrown at you from the internet, you could be shocked. But if you know enough to understand the context and to also see the hand of God working through the years, it will tend to build your faith. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Maybe some of the disillusionment for people comes when they, like you said, they haven't heard of something before. You know, if they stumble across plural marriage for the first time and nobody ever described the context, maybe the purpose of the limited way in which it was practiced, uh, it can feel very wrong and um, unsettling. But I like how you point out to look at the reliable sources and make sure you're learning enough, not too little. For those who don't know maybe the Revelations in Context, that is a project of the church where you basically break out some of the Doctrine and Covenants documentation of events. How does that help? It's providing a little bit more historical background into the the time period and what maybe what they were doing at the time. Yeah, that's exactly right. It it explains the, the background. So much of the Doctrine and Covenants, the revelations came as as answers to questions that either Joseph Smith had or individual saints had or, or the congregation as a whole had. If you just read the answers without knowing the question, it, it can seem kind of strange. But if you know the questions, I keep coming back to the word context. Really, in history, context means everything. I mean, that's how you understand how wars got started or as uh, why, why certain speeches were given. The speech is good in and of itself, but to know what led up to it, that's what makes Winston Churchill such an interesting figure historically is the context of, you know, of World War II in which he, w- he was faced. And, and his talks are great just by themselves, but knowing what the British people were facing at the time, and including that Hitler was marching across Europe and Britain was next, then you can appreciate the courage of, of, of what, he, what he said and what he was urging the British people to do, to, you know, to give one example. Yeah, I also liked how you pointed out not to expect perfection from church leaders in the past. I guess we have to remember that Yes, although Joseph Smith had these wonderful spiritual experiences and uh, as did others, these were moments, just glimpses of spiritual insight. And then they had the rest of their lives as well where they were mortal people and still trying to get through each day. And 
I, I suppose it can be easy when we look back at someone's life and you realize, oh, well, they held this position uh, to expect that they should have been really good all of the time, which is unrealistic because if I had everyone looking at everything that I ever did and only documented the bad parts without the context of me trying to be, <laughs> you know, a good person, um, I guess it wouldn't be an accurate depiction. Just one other thing on that particular thing, Maddie, one of the things that we're really trying to do in the church history department is to help people that have questions about church history. We uh, are now doing some things that we call church history conversations, where we have uh, usually we pair a couple of our church historians. These These are people with graduate degrees in history that know church history well, that are faithful members of the church. Most of these we've done online, so people can participate from around the world. Uh, some of them we've done live, where we just open up and take questions about church history. Now, beyond that, really, if any of your listeners are troubled by some incident in church history, and and they want to visit with somebody that has looked in depth on the issue and can give them some insights, they are welcome to contact us in the church history department. We'll put them in contact with somebody that they can talk to about those about those issues. Now, I'm not inviting people to come spar with us. I mean, it, it, <laughs> although we're happy to do that too. But you, you know, you and I have friends that that have been troubled by some issues in church history. I think most of us that sometimes have heard something that we thought, well, that's really strange. I don't know quite what to do with that. I think that it's a good thing to get good information from from good sources so that you can then judge as somebody else throws something at you that you can say, well, yes, but that's not, you're only telling part of the story. Well, that is a wonderful offer. I uh, hope you don't get too many people coming at you with uh, challenging discussions, but I uh, but I appreciate the uh, the sentiment and the effort that the church is going to to, to be transparent and, um, and maybe some people feel like there's an agenda that uh, in the past, you know, the church has covered up events. It doesn't seem like that is the way that the church history department is, is operating now. You might not have an answer for this, but I was wondering, you know, someone um, who's, who's served so diligently in the church for so many years and now is looking at so much history have you personally ever encountered an event in your studies that, that made you uh, slightly uncomfortable or that didn't align with the perception that you had of the church? And if you have, how were you able to reconcile those two different views? Uh, I think the way I would respond to that is I, I had a time when, if I can go way back, when I was a teenager, I was in a bookstore and I saw a book with a picture on the cover of the Salt Lake Temple. And I thought, well, what is this? This is interesting. And I I opened it up. And it was uh, an anti-Mormon book. And it, it raised all kinds of things that I had never thought about. And it frankly shook me. I can remember standing in this bookstore at a mall thinking, well, what if the church isn't true? It took a little bit of time and thought and prayer to, to come to grips with what I knew and what I had felt and the spiritual witnesses I had had. And, and then over time, 
I got answers to the, the, the issues that were raised as I stood there in that bookstore read, looking at this book and being shocked. I, I just really appreciate the way the Lord took me and reinforced the spiritual impressions I had and gave me the ability to understand the truth of some of the issues that this author had, had written. And I, I think my own experience with people developing testimonies is that it's, it's much different for different people, but many have had times in their life where, where there were at least gaps in their testimony, that, that I, I feel this and this and this, but I, I'm not so sure about this part. And, and my experience is over time, as you prayerfully learn what you can, that the Lord helps you fill in those gaps to where you can follow the Lord's admonition uh, to uh, to not be easily troubled in your mind. Yeah, I, I guess sometimes it really does take time. And I know there's that saying that if you're not sure about something, you know, you, you park it or you leave it on the shelf. Um, I know. I also know that that can be quite a dissatisfying answer for people when they want to know exactly in the moment why did this thing occur? Like, how could this? How could the church possibly ever practice plural marriage or ever kept the priesthood from any particular race? What would you say to someone who might be dissatisfied with with that answer? Oh, you know, it'll come in time. Yeah, I, I understand the sentiment uh, of people saying, "Put that on the shelf." I mean, it, there have been some some wonderful, faithful members of the church who had that approach. I guess the way that I would phrase it would be more along the lines of, I'm still working on that issue. I mean, I, 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 I love the response that Nephi gives in the Book of Mormon that uh, I know that God loves his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. It, it, <laughs> it, 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 it frankly kind of works better if you flip those the order of those and say, I don't know, I don't understand everything. But I do know that God loves his children. And I think you, you cling on to, if I can borrow the title of your podcast, one of the ways that you choose faith is by remembering what you do know and what you do feel. I've known faithful members of the church who get bothered by an incident in church history or get distracted by some some literature uh from somebody that wants to injure their faith is they they start doubting the church and before they're done they doubt the existence of God mm. and that's that's a real slippery slope to get on if you can instead address your questions by standing firmly on the things that you do know i do know that god know, loves his children i do know what i feel when i read the book of mormon i don't understand why the lord had joseph practice plural marriage and then with time, as you learn more and you feel more and you work on that, uh, you can get insights that, that help you with that. So you, you hold on and keep experiencing. I, I served as a mission president in Italy, and I had a mission, missionary send me a letter where he uh, told about a wonderful spiritual experience that he and his companion had had. And then he ended it by saying, President, that's another layer in the lasagna of my testimony. And, and I love that analogy because I think those of us that have 
that say we have testimonies, it, it's layer after layer that is added from this experience in testimony meeting today, or this experience while I was giving service, or this is what I felt as I read the first vision account. Those different layers of our testimony can help us keep going forward while we're still got a gap or two. And, and I think the Lord as a gift will help us feel better about those things over time, sometimes with answers, sometimes just with a peace that uh, someday that will be made known to us. Oh, I really like that lasagna analogy, especially given that I haven't really had lunch. So uh, I will keep that in mind. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, you know, you, you're absolutely right. And I found myself doing that in moments where maybe I haven't, um, you know, been reading my scriptures as regularly or just feeling a bit of disconnect from God. And then somebody says something about maybe, I don't know, current church practice, BYU policy or something that I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that before. I, I often find myself coming back to a list in one of my journals, which details about six or seven key spiritual experiences that I've had over the years, spanning more than a decade. And I try and come back to those in those moments when I'm not feeling an abundance of the Spirit in my life to remind myself, hey, actually, you do know this is true. Remember that time in the MTC when you were reciting the first vision and you were overwhelmed by the Spirit and broke down crying, unable to process this electrifying feeling? Or that one moment you had in the temple. Those kind of key moments, I think, can keep us going. And if we haven't had them yet, I liked what you said as well, that if we keep trying, keep working at it, they will come. Maddie, that is such a great insight. It's, it's like you set up a gallery of these experiences, pictures hanging on a wall. And by walking down that, that gallery, you can feel that feeling again that you felt in the MTC or that experience that you had in the celestial room or that experience that you had on your knees pleading with the Lord to, to help <laughs> Brother Smith quit smoking so he can join the church, you know, and, and you just felt that overwhelming feeling of the spirit. I can remember, I mean, just experience after experience. I think about a, a if I go way back to time on my mission where the spirit was so strong while we were filling the font for a baptism that I thought, I will never be unhappy again in my life. This feels so good. <laughs> or I'll never forget this. Or yeah. <laughs> so so I, th I think that's true. You, and and then you keep doing the things that bring those experiences again. You, you go serve other people. You go to the temple. You don't do that instead of seeking answers. You seek answers as well, but just don't leave out that other part of being what it means to choose faith and be a Latter-day Saint. Okay, now I've stolen your copyright I've uh, <laughs> by by saying choosing faith twice. Well, do you know, I was at last general conference. I don't know. One of the conferences, President Nelson talked about choosing faith and I just launched the podcast and I felt a little bit of like, yes, I've done something right because – even the prophet is talking about this this notion that it's, you know, sometimes it's just a choice to continue with those daily things and then the spiritual moments come. You know, you mentioned just earlier the Joseph Smith accounts of the first vision and 
I grew up really just with the, the 1838 version, but now we have four that can be read. It's very interesting to read the differences in them. They vary in tone, detail, imagery. I guess for some, this could feel really contradictory. Um, but again, as we've been talking in this interview, it's all about context. Why do some events in history differ in detail over time? And, and is that a bad thing? I frankly don't think it's a bad thing. Now, I give a lot of talks, and in those talks, I sometimes will tell the same, same story, but I find I tell it differently different times. For some audiences, I will leave out certain details. Sometimes it's because I'm telling a real short version. Uh, for example, the lasagna story. I didn't tell you what the spiritual experience was, nor why was that was so significant. But other times I might go into that detail. I think the other thing about Joseph Smith, you look at it, the very first one was 1832. He was trying to write a story of his life up to that time, and he really didn't get very far. And he complained about how difficult the prison of pen and ink were. <laughs> you can tell he was not a very good writer. Uh, you know, you remember Emma said that he didn't know how to write a coherent a letter. letter. Yeah. <laughs> but in that particular version, we understand more that one of, part of the experience was that he was filled with a feeling of love for several days after. I love the fact that we pick up that detail from that account. You also then, 1838 is the one we know the best. It's the one that's canonized in the Pearl of Great Price. It's part of our scripture, and it's the most detailed. But it's also 1838, where the saints had just undergone uh, great persecution in Missouri. And when you think about that context, you realize that his telling of the story what, one of the themes is this great conflict that people persecuted him for telling the truth. I think he was feeling at the time, I'm, I have a whole life of being persecuted. Look, even back when I got the first vision, I, I think it's interesting in that account, the 1838, you don't get the flavor that he was trying to get forgiveness for his sins. I love the fact that we've got these other accounts where we get more of an insight on, on that. I know some people get really troubled by them. I think it's uh, if if you look at a, an object from different angles, different things will strike you. As Joseph Smith went through his life and matured, uh, he understood things differently. And I think he perceived things differently. And memory is such that sometimes you, you your memory is influenced by, okay, what have I experienced in the meantime? Mm. So we don't need to be afraid, I guess, of discrepancies if we have the understanding that over time, you know, sometimes memories change or, you know, you recall different things to different audiences that can actually enrich our understanding of an event rather than breaking it down. Is that right? I think that's right. And, and really, you look at the different accounts, it's hard to say there are discrepancies. The big thing that people will point to is that he's very clear in 1838 that there were two personages that appeared to him and one introduced the other. In the 1832 account, he uses the word the Lord. And as you look at it, it, it may be that he's just talking about one figure, but 
But it sounds like when he's saying the Lord one time, he's talking about God the Father. And then when he says it a different time, he's talking about uh, Jesus Christ. And and I think it can be read as being consistent. I'm not troubled by that at all. It seems to me that you can read them all consistently. It'd be a shame if anybody felt like they were not getting the truth because Joseph Smith in his prison of pen and ink was trying to describe what he felt. And he, he described what struck him as being the most important. Mm. No, thank you. I appreciate that. Just a couple questions then before we wrap up, because we're very quickly running out of time. This is just a fun one. I, I wondered, given all of your study that you've done, if you could go back in time and tell Joseph Smith to record any event, what would it be? What would you love to learn more about that there's a gap in history at the moment of? You know, I, I smile sometimes because uh, we all know what day the church was organized because they wrote yep. it down. <laughs> <laughs> this is one I think you've thought of as well. The restoration of the Melchizedek priesthood, we just get hints at. It would be wonderful to get more of a description uh, you know, we're blessed, but by Oliver Cowdery wrote down the, the account, uh, his account, as did Joseph Smith, of John the Baptist coming and giving the Aaronic priesthood. And, and Oliver hinted that he was going to later write about the restoration of the Melchizedek priesthood. And to our knowledge, he never did. It would be glorious to know more about Peter, James, and John coming and visiting Oliver and, and Joseph. And and what was in, entailed in that. Similarly, in the New Testament, I wish we understood the Mount of Transfiguration better. I, you know, you just get bits and pieces, and yet this was a glorious spiritual thing. But could you tell us a little more about it? <laughs> Do you think then we sometimes also miss the mark in in not recording our stories? Maybe maybe they thought it didn't really matter at the time to to write it down. And are we guilty of the same thing? That's a good question. I don't I don't know for sure. I'm sure I'm sure grateful for all the records we have, but it would be wonderful to to know more about that. You know, one of the other things is we we get glimpses of what happened with respect to Joseph being commanded to practice plural marriage. I would love to, you know, that an angel appeared to him with a drawn sword and commanded him that he needed to do it. I would love more context with respect to that. Um, I, I wish we had more context with respect to the restriction on blacks having the priesthood. That's a painful one that we don't know more about it, but we, uh, we go on on faith based on what we do know. So there I, you wanted one, I gave you three. <laughs> no, they're all really good ones. And I think it is just a good reminder for us now, especially as part of your role being the recorder of the church, to document why we're doing things, why policies are changing, the revelatory events that are occurring right now with President Nelson. Um, it feels like every general conference that we have something new is, is announced and um, hopefully – we learn to continue recording these momentous occasions so that we can give context to future posterity. I, I think that's true, you know, and we need to be cognizant of the fact. I don't think there's been a time since Kirtland when we've had such a 
blossoming, such as springing forth of revelation, like we've had the last four years. And not just explication of doctrine, as important as that is, but changing the way Latter-day Saints live the gospel, how we go to the temple, what we do on Sundays, how we study the scriptures. It's really been a, a just a remarkable season. With your perspective as the church historian, you know, you've studied so many revelations that have documented in the Doctrine and Covenants and other stories. How has this study given you a greater appreciation for the fact that we still today have a living prophet who's guided by this revelatory process? One of the real great byproducts for me of reading the first three volumes of Saints is you get to see several different prophets wrestling with problems of their time and the way revelation came to help guide the church through those times. That perspective helps us appreciate what it, what we, we mean when we say we believe all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal, and that he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Uh, there's more to come, as President Nelson has told us. I don't know what that means, but having watched the changes that have happened to deal with issues in the world and in the church, uh, it, it is a glorious thing that we can always count on that we'll be led by prophetic leadership. It, it really is. Well, I, I have just one more question for you, unless there's anything else that you feel we can cover off. Is there anything that you wanted to say before we wrap up? Oh, you've been very kind. As you can tell, I love <laughs> I love the history of this church, and I, I, I find it such a, a builder of faith. You've been kind to listen to as I've said things. No, I, it's been a privilege. Thank you so much. I've felt the spirit throughout our conversation, and it's making me want to really dive into more history again and um, connect myself with the roots of the, the restoration and, and continue recording stories here on this podcast as well. Which brings me to the final question. So the title of the podcast is Choosing Faith, and we've discussed a little bit about that concept and what it means. What does choosing faith mean to you, Elder Curtis? You know, I, I think it's an interesting thing. As you look at the Savior's ministry, one of the things that troubled him about people was what he termed unbelief, that apparently they were making the choice not to believe. It, we're told he, there was a place that... Uh, he couldn't do mighty works, many, many mighty works, because of the people's unbelief. And, and one of the things that has struck me over the years is I don't want that to be me. I want to make the choice to be a believer, to exercise my faith, to really believe in the Son of God and his ability to do things. I think what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ is to really believe or know that he can do it, that he can work miracles in our lives, that he can calm the troubled seas, that he can heal blindness, and and continuing to believe that even when in our own life we, we don't get the answers or the miracles that we really wish we could get. So to me, choosing faith means that I'm not gonna ha I'm not gonna be one of those that that am cursed by unbelief. I'm gonna believe. I'm going to love the Savior. And the, and the really good news for me has been just even saying those words brings a feeling of the Spirit and that God is there, that Jesus is my Savior. 
So I'm going to choose faith. Thanks for joining me for this special episode with our international guest, Elder Curtis. I hope I covered some of what you would have liked to ask the church historian if you'd had the opportunity. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or share it with a friend. If you know someone whose example of faith is one we should hear on this show, don't hesitate to let me know on the Choosing Faith Facebook and Instagram pages. See you next time.